sin of the world. This is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, came baptized as he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descended and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, this morning for your word, this powerful scripture uh, this morning of who you are, Lord, that you sent your Son and who he is, and it ties all together. I thank you for the scripture this morning. Let us learn today about who you are. Let us challenge ourselves to grow in our faith with you, to, to, to become more uh, like your son. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. So as we're, as we're going through John here, uh, last week we talked about John the Baptist and we communicated and how he communicated <clears throat> Excuse me, to who of who Jesus was, and, and he was teaching about who Jesus was. Uh, and John, we talked about last week, was not interested in dwelling upon himself. He, and, and even here you see in our scripture today, he says it's not about me, it's about who he is. And so he was always pointing uh, to him. We talked about how leadership questioned uh, who, who John was, whether he was the Messiah, whether he was Elijah or a prophet. Uh, he answered that he was none of those, that he was a voice, a voice preparing for the Lord's coming. Uh, so now we see today, today John was preaching about the Lord's coming. Now it's happened. Now is the next day. The Lord's here. Uh, so he's ready, to, he's ready to go, right? So the Lord comes, Jesus is on the scene, and this isn't a secret anymore. This isn't something we're, we're going to hide. And so uh, the title of today's sermon is No Hiding This. We're not going to hide who Jesus is, and John's not going to. So the time of preparation is over. Uh, Jesus' baptism has already happened. It's been accomplished. His time of going to the wilderness and being tempted uh, is over. He was tempted by Satan. He, he fasted. Uh, that's gone. And now we're at his time of ministry. His time of ministry is about ready to get started. And so John gives us some specific advice here about Jesus. And, and there's one word that he says. And I tried to emphasize it while I was reading, and I'm loud anyway, but probably you, didn't, you may not have gotten it. But that one word is behold. Behold. So he's basically saying, behold who's coming. Look to this guy. It's, it's here. Let's focus on him. It's time to look. And in this scripture, it gives us some reasons that we're supposed to look towards Jesus. We're supposed to look. John knows, John the Baptist here knows that his time is coming to an end. His ministry is now at a point where it's being fulfilled. He was, he was the one, a voice crying in the wilderness saying, hey, there's a man coming after me. Well, now Jesus is here. He's here. Uh, and his ministry is only going to, John the Baptist's ministry is only going to happen for a little while longer, and then it's fulfilled. So it's now time to look to Jesus. And there's some reasons that this scripture, these five verses give us, uh, that we need to look towards Jesus. And the first one here, uh, in verse 29, we need to look to Jesus because he's our sacrifice. And that's exactly what John says. And that's why we sang that last song. Because John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John refers to Jesus as the Lamb. 
right? Now, in today's culture where we live, I know there's some people that, a few that may uh, have, have raised lambs and sheep and whatnot. There's not a whole lot. But in that culture, that's exactly, they knew exactly what he was saying. Uh, so for us, we may not understand what he was saying, but to a common Israelite then, they knew exactly what John was saying. Uh, because they knew about lambs, and lambs were uh, significant then because it was a symbol of innocence. And lambs were often little pets that they would raise and, and you took care of, especially people that, that didn't have a whole lot of flocks. You had a little baby lamb, you took care of it. You fed it from your own table. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is a, a perfect example of this. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, this is uh, the prophet Nathan. Nathan goes to rebuke King David because of what he had done. And he uses this, he uses a lamb here. And this is what he says, starting in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had, which he had bought. And he, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there was a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the, for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives the man who has done this deserves to die he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did the thing and because he had no pity so what my point here is that they use he they, when they reference when john the baptist references a lamb here they knew what he was talking about because here even in second samuel the lambs were significant this is also, you could go back to Passover when they had to sacrifice a lamb for Passover. Imagine being a poor family then and only having one little lamb. And that lamb you've raised up in your house and you've fed from your table. And you've held it in your arms as you've raised it. And you have to, sac oh, you love it. It's like, it's a pet. And you have to sacrifice it for Passover. You see, that's significant. That's important for us because Christ's blood costs something. That Passover cost them something. And so this picture of a lamb here, it, it's important. It's, an, it's important. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, an innocent lamb took the guilt of sin. And so it had to be crucified. So when he talks, when John the Baptist talks about a, a lamb, and they talk about, uh, when he says the lamb of God, this, they, this, they understand what he's saying here. They understand because they had to do that. Imagine at Passover time, you have to take your lamb and its blood has to be put over your doorpost because of the Passover, to celebrate Passover because of sin. See, it costs something. And the same thing here. Jesus, it costs our sin. Our sin costs Jesus going to the cross and shedding of blood because of our sin. So it costs something. So this is a reminder to them. So when John exclaims, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when he says that, those images would come and stir in their minds. So we have to understand that's why he used that kind of language. Because Jesus was coming as a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for sin. 
So we have to understand that. So here's, I read this this week. I want to share this with you, and I thought this was great. There's a story of a man who was on a luxury liner, and suddenly he falls overboard, and he's about ready to drown. And in desperation, he is, he, boy, he's out there, save me. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. And there's a whole bunch of people on deck that are looking out to this man. And the first man, when he saw him fell overboard, the first guy reaches, reaches into his uh, briefcase, and he pulls out a book on how to swim. And he throws it to the guy and he says, hey, read this. Read this and it's going to give you instructions. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. The next guy next to him, next to him when he saw the guy uh, fall overboard, he jumps overboard too. And he says, he starts swimming around the guy and he says, hey, just watch me. Learn how to swim by watching me. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Just watch me how to swim as this guy's drowning. Now the next guy, the next person, he looked down on this drowning guy and in deep concern, he says, hold on just a second. Help is on the way. This guy was a Southern Baptist because he said, help's on the way. I'm going to establish a committee and we're going to dialogue your problem. And then we're going to come up with the proper financing and we're going to resolve your dilemma for you. Right? Hey, he was a Southern Baptist. The next guy on deck. He was, he, was a, uh, he was a representative of somebody with a school of positive thinking because he yelled at the, the drowning guy, friend, this situation isn't nearly as bad as you think it is. Just think dry. Just think dry and you're going to be okay, right? The next guy on board, he was an evangelist. Uh, he was an evangelist and had done too many revival meetings because this drowning man was, was going up and down, for the second, third time, waving his arm in the air, saying, help me, help me. And the revivalist said, yes, brother, I see that hand. Is there another? Is there another? Right? And finally, there's a man on deck that jumps overboard. And he runs out, he swims out, not runs. Well, I guess in this situation it could run. Uh, he, he jumps overboard, he swims out to him, and he saves him, and he pulls him back to the boat. That's a picture of Christ. That he was willing to come and jump in to our muddy, nasty world that we created for us. And to swim and save us, to die on a cross for us. For us. That's what Jesus did. He came to perform the rescue. So the, and, and that's kind of my next segue here. Is Jesus' whole point in coming was to die. Was to die. He came to die. Hey, whether we like it or not. Christianity is a bloody religion. It's bloody. If not for the blood of Christ, there is no Christianity. Without the blood of Christ, we don't have cleansing from the sin. For we're sinful, and that's an awful truth. That's the truth that me and you, listen, unless you're a follower of Christ this morning, when God looks at you, he sees sin. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, you've put your faith and trust in him. When God sees you, he sees his son because Jesus shed his blood for your sins. So we all have to come to a realization in our lives that we're sinful. And Romans 3.23 says that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that's not a fun time to have to come to that realization. We don't like to have to come to the, that realization that we're sinners. And most of the time what we like to do is we try to justify ourselves. We try to, we try to blame it on somebody else. Well, yeah, but I came from a dysfunctional family. Or, you know, I'm just poorly adjusted to society. Or I, I'm disadvantaged, you know. Or then we try to say, yeah, but I mean, I know I've done some wrong, but I've, I've done enough good things in my life to cover that. And Isaiah 64, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. 
So listen, we all like to say that we're victims and that, you know, it's somebody else's fault. But let me say with Christianity, there's only one victim. We're not the victim. Jesus was the victim. He tasted death for us. So when we play that song, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the victim for us. And let me say this morning, too, that a lot of people like to think that there's other multiple ways to get there. You know, that we, well, I mean, we're all, if you just believe in God, you just believe in God and, and, and that everybody will eventually get there if you just believe that there's a higher power. Well, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said completely opposite of that. In John 14, 6, what did he say? He's turned there. Let's read it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. And what does he say in verse 7? Go down to verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Because Jesus was God in flesh. So listen, when we talk about sin, we talk about why Jesus had to come. He had to come and die for us. Because of our sin, you got to make that personal. you got to make that personal. That it's because of your sin. So the, the, the point, that the first point, our point, first point today that John points to is that Jesus is our sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right, so second thing we can pick up from these verses in, first, in John 1. Second thing, if you go down to verses 30 and 31. Jesus is supreme here. Let's read 30 and 31 again. John the Baptist says this. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. So this is something that I've said numerous times already, and we're not even through John chapter 1. We're going to say it a lot, that Jesus is number one. He is supreme he is the most important, he is everything. And John is constantly, John the Baptist is constantly drumming out this theme. That don't look at me, even though he had massive crowds following him. He said, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Because John knew that the one that comes after me is more important than me. He, John the Baptist knew that Jesus was eternal. He wasn't going anywhere. He was eternal. He's always existed. He's supreme. He's above everything. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 tell us that. That Jesus is firstborn and he created everything. He created it all. So John's mission here, and talks about baptism, was to prepare the people for what was best. Not to prepare them for himself, but to prepare them for Christ. And he did that through the practice of baptism. So this baptism is a little bit different than what we understand it today. So John's baptism, he prepared them for their hearts, for what God was going to do in them. So people misunderstood John's baptisms. John's baptism was concerned largely with leading men to repentance, which was, I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning from my wicked deeds, and I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to turn from my wicked deeds, and I'm going to turn to God, which is coincidentally the first, one of the first things that has to happen when we can become Christians. We have to recognize that we're guilty in need of a Savior, and we turn from that, and we turn to Christ. We put our faith in Christ, by faith alone in Him. That that's the kind of saving faith that you have. We're going to talk about that this morning, too. So John was leading men to repent, repentance. 
So when Jesus came, John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he was preparing them for the Messiah. He was preparing them that Jesus was number one. Jesus is supreme. And listen, this morning, Jesus has to be number one in our lives too. It's the same thing. Like we can't have our faith. We're saved by faith, by his grace. Our faith has to be a believing faith that we're turning from our wicked life and putting our faith in him. We're going to read a verse in a minute out of James, and I'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're going to read about a, a verse where people say, oh, just have faith that there's a God. No, no, James addresses that in James chapter 2. Our faith is a faith that we turn from our life and we put our faith and trust in Christ. So the second point here again out of our four is that Jesus is number one. He's supreme. He's number one, and he has to be number one in our lives. All right, extremely important here in verses 32 and 33. Third point is Jesus is spirit-directed. He is spirit-directed. The spirit remained with Jesus, thus proving who he was and that God was approving of him. Because you remember when John the Baptist, and it's not in the book of John, it's in another gospel, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, what happened? Spirit, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove, right? Well, John is now talking uh, in, in, in a testifying element here that he saw that. And now when Jesus comes back from the wilderness, it's still there. So after Jesus' baptism, and it's not in the book of John, he immediately went into the wilderness. So what we know is the temptation of Jesus. So he spent 40 days without food. And, and what did Satan do? He came and tempted him. Now Jesus is returning. His ministry is about ready to, to start. And John the Baptist's testimony is significant now because we're talking about a time element. He's saying, I saw the Spirit descend upon Jesus, and now it's still there. So he's seeing that this is, this is the real deal. That's what he's telling us. Jesus is the real deal. I saw the Spirit come down, and it stayed. It's permanent. It's permanent. That's an important part of this. So now Jesus, and then John says, now Jesus is going to baptize with something other than water. Now we're going to get into how this relates to us. So when we discuss the meaning of the word baptism, it's used two different times in Scripture. There can be a dipping, there can be a submersion. Those are the root meanings, all right, in Scripture. So when John uh, had been baptized in the Jordan, as you, we can best understand it, it was more of a dipping, Right, And this was a symbol of repentance and to get clean. But what Jesus was going to do was completely radical and different. It was a baptism of the Holy Spirit that you receive. So when, when you accept Christ as your Savior, and you put your faith and trust in Him, when you say, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, I'm, you, I, you have, that's the kind of faith. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm going to follow you. That saving faith, you know what happens at that moment? You've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in your life, and you're different. Now your desires are different. You're a different person. You receive the Holy Spirit when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one, the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now here's a key thing that I want to cover with you all this morning. Our confession today is vastly different than the confession in Scripture. All right, If you 
If you lived in biblical times and you made a profession of faith in Christ, that you were going to follow him, you were cut off from your community. You were hated. You were on, on, you, you were on the verge of possibly being put to death. You had people like Saul that would try to persecute you because you're not a Christian. You were cut off. It meant something to be a follower of Christ. If you're going to step out and confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, it meant something then. It was important. And listen, what we've done in the American church is we've watered that down. We've watered that down. And we, we, we want to say, well, yeah, I mean, just believe that there's a God. Just be, if you just believe, you're good. Just believe that there's a God, right? And that's what, turn to James. In James chapter 2. James chapter 2. This is the difference. James chapter 2 verses 19 says this. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Wow. Huh. You believe that God is one. You know what he's talking about? The Trinity there. You know what that means? That the demons accept that the Trinity is true. That Jesus is God. That it's three persons in one God. They believe that. You know, what's, what's the difference? So what's the difference in my faith and my confession than that of a demon? So what's the difference? My difference is that I say, Lord, you got me. I put my faith and trust in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That you paid the penalty. I believe that you rose again and defeated death. You got me. You got me. My life is you. I'm picking up my cross daily and I'm following you. I'm dying to my old life. That's the kind of faith that he's talking about. Now listen, you don't get the salvation by dying to your former life and picking up your cross daily. You get that by having that kind of believing faith. Not by the kind of believing faith that says, I believe there's a God. Demons believe there's a God. Yeah, it's different. It's different. You have to understand that. You know what we call that? We call it easy believism. Oh, just, I mean, just believe there's a God. I mean, if you believe there's a God, you're good. No, no, no. Demons believe that and they shudder. So what's the difference? A faith that says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to follow you. Does God know when we have that kind of faith? Oh, yeah, he does. Do I know when you have that kind of faith? No, I don't. That's between you and God. Why did God say Abraham was justified? Because of his faith. You know what kind of faith Abraham had? That he was willing to take his son. Because God told him, take your son and sacrifice your son. You're, oh, and he loved his son. He loved Isaac. He was willing, that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. He was willing to do whatever it took. So what did God say? You're justified by your faith. How are me and you justified? By our faith. You know whether you have that kind of faith or not. Or if I just say, I just believe in God. I believe in God, and I'm going to bust heaven wide open. I want to tell you, you're wrong. You're going to die, and you're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, I don't know who you are. But you, don't, you haven't put your faith and trust in me. You believe, just like James chapter 2, that the demons believe that there's a God. See, there's a difference, guys. We have to understand that. So confession today is completely different. When you're baptized... By the Holy Spirit, 
Because of your faith, when Jesus takes over your life, you're different. It's different. You're just different, and you're, and you're a changed person, and your life is different. So baptism with the Holy Spirit by our faith, by Christ coming in, that gives us new life. We become new creations in Him. So the third point is Jesus is Spirit-directed. It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit with us. All right, fourth thing, and this is something we're going to talk about a lot through the book of John, okay? So you're going you're gonna, to uh, get a lot of this, but Jesus is the Son of God. John the Baptist wants us to be clear who Jesus is, all right? He wants us to be clear. We're to look to Jesus because there exists for him the closest personal relationship with God the Father there can possibly be is in Jesus, right there. That's the closest. John calls him the Son of God. So we, there's no mistake about his deity, all right? Now, here's the thing. Uh, Jesus even says in, in John chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Turn there. We'll read those real quick. This is a claim that the leaders of the day, the Jewish leaders of the day, did not miss. They didn't miss this. John chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. John 10. Let's start with 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. From which one of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Wow. That's what John the Baptist is saying. Now, we get hung up on this. We get hung up on this where we think, Well, he's the Son of God. That means that... That mean that what does that that means that he's like Hunter's my son right so there's two different meanings for firstborn in scripture okay for, and I've covered this I want to cover it again because it's important we can get confused first there is a, a literal firstborn in scripture where Hunter uh, or Sierra is my firstborn right so your child is your firstborn there's another meaning for firstborn in scripture where even in Psalms it's when they talks about King David that King David was firstborn. King David, we all know, wasn't firstborn. He was the youngest son of Jesse, right? So what are they talking about? They're talking about most important, preeminent, most powerful. So that's the kind that they're using with Jesus, right? Not that he was created, because Colossians tells us he wasn't created, that he created everything. So John wants to make sure we understand who Jesus is, that he has the same authority as God the Father in heaven. John wants to make sure we understand that. So Jesus is no less than God's chosen one here. It's a divine matter from beginning to end. He is the Son of God. So, these five verses. What does this mean for me and you? How do we apply this? We've already done a little bit of application, but how do we apply this? Well, first, we need to look to Jesus. We need to put our faith and trust in Him. John tells us, what's that word? Behold. That's a command. It's our duty to behold the Lamb of God. To have eyes that want to see who he is using scripture. To learn about him. Have eyes of obedience that we want to be obedient to him. Have eyes of faith. Have a heart of faith. That we put our faith in him. That we behold the lamb. Christ's sacrifice is for every person. But it's only effective for those who will behold him with eyes of faith. Have you done that? Have you done that? You need to ask yourself that. 
maybe for you today, that's where this stops. Is that, you know what? This is just, I just don't want to do this. I don't want to, or maybe you're on the opposite end of that. You say, I'm going to behold him for the first time in my life today. And I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. And it's time to stop sitting there and to do something about that. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the guilt, the sin that we have, the power that it has over us. The stains of our sin, he washes it clean. What's that old hymn? Nothing but the nothing wash. Yeah, that's a great song. It washed, I can't even sing it, but it's a great song. Hey, we, we, he knows what song I'm talking about, right? But guys, that's the truth. He washes that clean. He washes you clean. Listen, does that mean I'm from here on out? If I'm not a follower today, that I'll never sin again? No. It means I'll, I'll still have issues. I'll still have hang-ups. I'll still be growing in my faith. You're not sanctified that day. You're justified because you put your faith and trust in Christ alone. And that's it. That's it. All right, so here's the last illustration. It's a great illustration, too, because people do this. There's a story of a fireman that had had scaled this ladder, went up three stories up this ladder, right? And this house is on fire, and he, he breaks a window to save this woman. And he's right there, reaching out for to grab her. She's hiding in this corner, hunkered down, can barely see. Uh, there's thick smoke everywhere. And his fireman's calling her, take my hand. Take my hand. It's just a few inches away. And this frightened woman, instead of reaching out and grabbing his hand, goes further into the smoke. She panics and she goes further into the smoke. And after this was over, they interviewed the fireman. And he said, this is his words. She just wouldn't let me save her. I tried to save her, and she just wouldn't let me. Guys, right now, you have hope. Right now, you have hope. Because you're standing, if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, you're standing in a jail cell. And right now, the door's open. And Christ is on the outside of that saying, come on. come Get out of the jail cell. Get out of it. And there's so many people that stay in the jail cell. And then one day, the door is slammed shut. And there's no key. There's no turning back. And you've put your life and your eternity in a jail cell. When all you have to do is step out and say, I'm stepping out to you. I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. That's saving faith. That's believing faith. That's believing faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this about the Holy Spirit. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. He wants you to be a new creation in Christ. Christ has the power to change your life. He can change your life. Listen, you know, in the new member class this morning, there's a huge difference between my life now versus eight years ago. Listen. I mean, we're not even the the same person. If you knew me then, you'd probably think, man, I don't even know who that guy is. Why? Because you got to turn the keys over. you got to say, I put my faith and trust in you. And you become a new creation in Christ. You become a new follower of his. All right, last verse. Revelation 5.12. In Revelation, we find this picture of a conquering Christ as a lamb who is worthy of worship. Revelation 5.12 says this. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory 
and praise. Hey, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, the least we can do is offer our praise and our best because Christ is supreme. The least we can do is offer ourselves as what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is my reasonable service. If I'm a follower of Christ, I want to offer myself as a living sacrifice. So when people meet me, they say, man, there's something different about that guy. He's just different because he's a follower of Christ. He's worthy of our worship today for what he did, for he put, took our penalty. And we can celebrate this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ that we're followers of his. That one day, I know, even if you don't like me, I'm sorry, you're going to have to put up with me for eternity one day. Because we're going to be in heaven together forever. That's, that's good. That is, man, that's some good news. That, that gets you excited. That humbles you. That gets you thankful where you worship. And, you, and see, faith, justified by faith, then works. Right? See, that's what happens. Man, I'm appreciative. I'm thankful. Now I'm going to get busy serving the kingdom. Right? That's how it works. So, today, we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. We're going to have another video for the invitation. But Jesus is worthy of our worship today, guys. Look to him and celebrate that you're a follower of his. Maybe you're here this morning, you're visiting us, and you've never made a... You've never, ever made a believing faith in Christ, never professed a believing faith in Christ. And when I say believing faith, we talked about this. A faith, a faith that saves. Not a faith that says, I believe there's a God. A faith that saves. You got the keys to my life. Whatever you want, I'm doing it, whatever you want me to do. Hey, are there things in your life you just haven't given up? Maybe you're a follower of Christ and you're struggling today because you just can't give it up. This is where you let him reach out his hand and grab you and you let him save you. Save you of the, the junk in your life that you need to be forgiven of. We're supposed to lay those at Christ's feet. We're going to pray and we're going to sing. Father, I thank you, Lord, this morning that we could come to your house and we could learn uh, about who you are, Father. Your word is challenging. Father, I thank you for sending your son to die for us, taking the punishment upon himself. I thank you for that. And, and because I'm so thankful for that, I want to serve you and I want to get busy for you. Father, we love you this morning. If there's people here that don't have a relationship with you, Lord, I ask that they, they, they submit their lives this morning. Your spirit will reach them and they will just submit. They will bend their knee and they will submit to who you are for their life. Lord, if we're here this morning and, and we're Christians, but we're just not, we're just not doing a whole lot. Father, I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will convict us of that, too, to get us get busy, that we're serving you, and we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Uh, close with uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 today. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Guys, I love you. Have a great day with your families today. Uh, We've got a busy week ahead of us, so enjoy your families. I'm going to ask Denny if you would close us in prayer this morning.